choir members, instrumentalists, singers, God bless you. Great job. Hard to improve upon Jesus paid it all, isn't it? When he said, it is finished, he used a verb there that meant perfect tense, past tense action with present continuing abiding results. It was paid, and it's always paid, and it can never be unpaid. And today all we can say is, not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. These for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. We'll look at verses 6 through 11. A series on maintaining your joy. Today is joy in your mind. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and yet it happens in our minds. That's where it happens. We can choose to be joyful as we think about certain truths. And this morning's message would be these three truths. Philippians 2. Verse 6, it says, Who, referring to Jesus Christ, verse 5, Although he existed, was existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, clenched, clung to. He didn't hold on to it. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion, appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in the heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here in these verses we find out three facts about which we can focus our minds that will give us joy even in bad circumstances and I think in looking around at the world and our nation we need some joy therefore we need to focus on these thoughts let's pray father in heaven thank you for the good news of the gospel that we find here in this this hymn that Paul included it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help us understand who Jesus is and what he did and what we ought to do bless this time of study Bless those in the modern service that are watching, those at home, perhaps those even traveling on the road. We ask you to be with them. In Jesus' name, amen. What is joy and how is it different from happiness? When Paul and Silas entered Philippi, they were able to lead a woman named Lydia and her entire family to faith in Christ, as well as a young girl who told fortunes by the power of the old devil. When the young girl believed in Jesus, she stopped telling fortunes. And Acts 16, 19 says, When her master saw their hope of profit was gone, when the old demonic spirit would not tell fortunes anymore through this little girl, they took Paul and Silas and dragged them to the chief magistrates and said, These men are throwing our city into confusion. Imagine delivering a little girl from the devil. And they're saying, Paul and Silas, they're the cause of our problems. So Paul and Silas were beaten with rods and tossed into prison. And verse 25 says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the other prisoners were listening. How in the world can you be beaten with rods and still maintain your joy? Someone has said that joy is in the heart. Happiness is on the face. Joy is in the soul. Happiness in the moment. Joy transcends. Happiness reacts. Joy runs deep and overflows. Happiness hugs hello. 
Joy is a practice and behavior, deliberate and intentional, but happiness comes and goes along the way. Joy is profound and scriptural. Don't worry. Happiness is a bomb. Don't worry, be happy. Joy is an inner feeling, happiness, and outer expression. Joy endures hardship and trial and connects with God in eternity. Happiness ends when the good circumstances end. A person pursues happiness but chooses joy. That is so important. We choose joy. And that's the real difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is based on your experience, your circumstance, your happenstance. Joy is what you choose because you are in Christ. And that's the phrase we find in God's Word over and over, joy in the Lord. The sphere of joy is in the Lord. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Psalm 97, 12, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. In Philippians, we're told, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. And finally, my brothers, Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord. Paul believed there was joy in the Lord, and when you understand what it means to be in Christ, you'll have that same joy. I love that verse in Luke 10, 20, Jesus told his disciples, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Man, you want to rejoice? Rejoice your names are written in heaven. Off this planet somewhere, Christian, our names are written in heaven. Jesus said, regardless of your circumstances, you ought to be able to rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That proves joy begins in the mind. It's produced by the Spirit as we contemplate certain spiritual realities and truths. And this was how Paul and Silas could sing hymns of praise in a jail with their feet fastened in stocks. It wasn't based on happenstance. Their joy was based on the spiritual reality of what it meant that they were in Christ. If we want to increase our joy and live with joy instead of sadness, we ought to think these same kind of thoughts. You know, even as this week's headlines read these words, actual headlines from this week, Violence in California reaches epidemic level as our society rapidly deteriorates. May I say, it's not just California. Society is rapidly deteriorating. The stage is being set for a massive global rice shortage. New world order already here. For Iran, it's about breakout time. Israel on record terror alert ahead of holy days. Friend, even with headlines like these literal headlines of this week, Believers can still maintain their joy. How can we do it? As we think these three thoughts. As we choose to focus on these truths, sadness will be joy. First, think about who Jesus is. This is fact number one to help you increase and maintain your joy. Think about who Jesus is. Verse 6, we find here in these verses, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, it's believed these verses were part of an existing early hymn Christians sang as part of their worship, and Paul borrowed these words under the Spirit's direction to communicate three powerful truths about Jesus to two women having a conflict. Paul said, you ladies ought to think like Jesus thought. You ought to have this mind that he had. And then he told them what the mind was. See, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was existing in the form of God. The present participle shows us he didn't begin to exist before his incarnation like the angels, but he was existing from eternity past like God the Father exists and will always exist. 
as the great I am who is and was and is to come, Jesus has always been and he will always be because he is the eternally existent one. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus said, John 8.58, before Abraham was, I am. They understood the claim. That's why they picked up stones to stone him. Jesus called himself the I am, the name used for God in Exodus 3.14. God said, I am who I am. Literally, I've always been what I'll always be. And that's what the name Yahweh means. I'll always be what I've always been. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the image, imprint of the invisible God. As the hymn writer Henry Brantley put it, he is what he was and forever shall be, but became what he was not for you and for me. Jesus did not come into being when he was born of Mary. He did not come into being when the universe was created. Colossians 1.16, by Jesus all things were created. 1.17, he is before all things. And the only way Jesus could eternally exist was for him to be God. Isaiah 9, 6, he's the eternal father, the father of eternity. 1 John 1, 1, the one who was from the beginning. Revelation 1, 17, he's the alpha and omega, the first and the last, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one without beginning or end of days, who's a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Oh, friend, listen, I am so glad that I don't believe Jesus was a created being like Michael the archangel was created as the Jehovah's Witnesses wrongly teach. Glad I don't believe that. I'm glad I don't believe Jesus was created to be Lucifer's half-brother as the Mormons wrongly teach. Glad I don't believe that. I'm glad I don't believe Jesus was created as another prophet as Islam wrongly teaches. Glad I don't believe that. Or just a man or a teacher as theosophy and unity wrongly teach. Glad I don't believe that. But I'm glad that I believe that Jesus existed eternally before all things from eternity past as the Bible clearly states. Daniel calls Jesus the ancient of days. The prophet Micah said his goings forth are from long ago, from eternity past. I'm thankful I don't believe what these other groups teach. Because the thought that will keep us joyful in dark times is that Jesus was existing in the form of God. He is God. And the word form speaks to his inner nature or being. He was always existing in his nature as God. From eternity past, Jesus had all the rights and privileges and power and glory of God because in his essence and nature, he's God. But despite being fully divine and having the full glory of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be greedily grasped. He had the glory and the power, but he didn't hang on to the glory. Like a child hanging on to a toy saying, mine, mine, mine. He gave up the glory to meet our need, telling us something of his character. John 3.16 says, Whosoever believeth in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. But believe what? Just believe he existed as a mortal man? No. The word believe means believes his claims that he was and is the Son of God, God incarnate, the eternally preexistent one, second person of the Trinity. The word believe means believes his claim. Now those who believe Jesus was simply Michael the archangel do not believe in accordance with the biblical definition of the word believe. 
And those who believe Jesus was Satan's half-brother do not believe in accordance with the biblical definition of the word believe. And those who say Jesus was only a holy prophet, a teacher, a good moral man, do not believe with the biblical definition of the word believe. Friend, if you believe with the biblical definition of the word believe, you should be joyful because it means you passed from death unto life. Whosoever believeth in him is not condemned. But whosoever believeth not stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Friend, this is the best reason in the world for us to be joyful. But did you know that sadly most of our world does not believe this? Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way, and the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there be who find it. Oh, listen, rejoice, Christian, you're part of the few who by the mercy and grace of God have found the narrow gate. Every time I watch the old video footage from 21 years ago now, hard to believe, of the World Trade Centers collapsing on 9-11, I feel the emotion of extreme sadness for those who perished in those towers. And yet, I feel at the same time joy that I was not in the towers as they fell. It's almost the same as we think about people who die without Jesus. There's sadness for those who perish without Christ, but then there's joy we're not among them. A couple of years ago, a little over half of all Americans said Jesus was God. And among millennials, the number was less than half. And a third of those said Jesus was just another religious leader. And one in five said they don't have a clue who he is. Sadly, this is the direction America is heading. As Europe is, we will become. Here's a statistic that should cause some of our teenagers and young adults to be open to considering full-time career missions if God calls you to do this and make your life available for the call. Did you know that half of all people in the Netherlands consider themselves either agnostics, atheists, or nothing in particular? They, half of all people there, say they are atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. Now, the other problem, uh, half probably has some kind of maybe remote church affiliation, but probably rarely, if ever, go to church. 42% of the people in Sweden say, they say they're atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular. For Belgium, it's 38%. Denmark and Spain, 30%. Again, that's not the number of unbelievers in those countries, but the percentages of the populations that consider themselves atheists, agnostics, or nothing at all. You could probably well then double those numbers to get the number of people there who have, don't have a clue about Jesus which means the Netherlands, Sweden, Belgium, Denmark, Spain, these countries are wide open for the gospel. So let me encourage some of our young folks, young adults, teenagers, why not pray about getting your four-year college degree and then get your three, three-and-a-half-year seminary degree and make yourself available, apply to the International Mission Board as a full-time career missionary to reach the people of Europe who are sitting in darkness and need to hear the light. What about Canada? Did you know over two-thirds, Barna said, over two-thirds of Canadians say it's not necessary to believe in God to go to heaven? Two-thirds. That doesn't mean a third of all Canadians are going to heaven. I imagine the number would be way less than that. But two-thirds say they don't think you have to even believe in God to go to heaven. And I'm not picking on the Canadians because America's numbers are very close. Rejoice, Christian, you believe that Jesus is God. And you believe he existed eternally in the form of God. 
And Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped and clutched. And by the word, that, that, way, that word for grasped gives us our word rapture, to snatch. He didn't hang on to it. He didn't snatch hold of his pre-incarnate glory and say, I'm not going to turn it loose. I'm not going there, down there. No, he gave it up willingly for us. Even though Jesus was God before he was born in Bethlehem, and God, after he was born in Bethlehem, and willingly gave up his pre-incarnate glory and all the splendor and the glory of heaven to come down here and die for our sins, he still did it. He left his Father's throne above, so rich, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled and died for Adam's helpless race. Out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe, only our great Savior's great eternal love made our Savior go. We can maintain joy in our minds by remembering who Jesus is. He's not just some religious dude from the murky past. Oh, no. He is the Lord who died for our sins and is coming back to rule and reign on this planet for a thousand years and then forevermore. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Who he is. Number two, maintain your joy by remembering what? Jesus did. Rejoice at what he did. 7 and 8. But emptied himself. And this word kenosis is why we call this the kenotic passage, the, the emptying of himself. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in fashion appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. The reason Jesus emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, set aside the glory he had with the Father before he was born, was so that he who was rich became poor for our sake. He became the lowest of all slaves, a bond slave, so that as a flesh and blood man he might lower himself to obedience unto death, even the worst of all deaths, the death on the cross. That is why he came to die. The king became a peasant who went to the cross to die for our sins. That's why he came obedient to the point of death on the cross. And the word even calls attention to the shocking feature of this humiliation, even death by crucifixion. Crucifixion was used on the most rebellious of slaves for the worst of all criminals. Roman citizens were barred from being crucified, which is why tradition says Paul was beheaded and not crucified. The Jews hated crucifixion. Deuteronomy 21, 23 warned, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And yet what did our Lord do? The Lord of glory hung naked before a mocking world with nail spikes driven through his feet and hands so that he might take us out of the realm of death and transfer us into the realm of life, the kingdom of his dear son. He became sin and was deserted by God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And why art thou so far from helping me? In the words of my roaring, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. But in the night season, I am, am not silent. So we could be sinless, counted sinless, and known by God. Man, if you're looking for a great reason to be able to maintain your joy, there it is. There it is. Border Patrol agents in Texas announced two weeks ago that because of all the illegal immigrants dying while trying to enter the U.S., and I believe as of yesterday, the number was 748 uh, from, from the start of the year till, till now. That's how many people have died 
The Border Patrol said coroners and funeral homes are being inundated with dead bodies. Inundated with dead bodies. Border Patrol agents were quoted on Fox News that the year has turned out to be, quote, the deadliest year for illegal immigrants attempting to cross in the USA ever in history, ever. And many are dying while drowning trying to cross the river. Many are dying from hypothermia. Many are dying from dehydration. Sadly, earlier in the year, 53 died while packed into a hot trailer. Let me just say it's sad that people are being encouraged to risk their lives by the bad policy of an open border. Sad. I don't care that I said that, by the way. But consider Jesus who gave his life that we might have freedom and blessing and eternal life. Jesus' policy was to become a man, humble himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us so that the penalty of our sins could be paid in full. Jesus paid it all. God said, the soul that sins, it shall die. Oh, no, we sinned. We deserve death individually and eternally. Enter Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace fell upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. A judge can say a defendant is guilty or not guilty, and we're guilty. If you've broken one of the Ten Commandments, I have, you have, we're all in the same guilty boat together, we're guilty. Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Guess what? We're not. Oops, we fell short of the glory of God. A judge can declare the sentence, the wages of sin, is death. That's not just physical death, that's eternal death. But a judge cannot dismiss the sentence legally since the law has been broken. For justice to be upheld, someone must pay either the guilty or the innocent in his place. And that's what Jesus shows up to do. For Christ hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. He died in our place, so we don't have to face the wages of sin. That is spiritual and eternal death. And that, friends, is a great reason for us to maintain joy in our thinking, in our minds, in our choosing. We ought to think about it, especially in times like these. Years ago, Hollywood made a movie called John Q., about a factory worker who missed or couldn't pay the premiums on his health insurance. And during a baseball game, sadly, his son collapsed and realized he had a heart problem and needed a heart transplant. Hospital required $75,000 down payment of the procedure's quarter million cost to put their son on the organ transplant list. But they didn't have the money. They didn't have the insurance. The father and mother tried to raise the money, but they fell miserably short of what was required. I think about us when I think about that, falling short. We didn't have what we need to get into heaven. And so the son was sent home to die in the film. And that's when the father took the hospital staff as hostages with a gun. Don't recommend doing that. And then John Q. decided what he had to do was take his own life in order for doctors with whom he'd suddenly become friends to transplant his heart into the heart of his son. Spoiler alert, before John Q. took his own life, a donor heart became available and both dad and son were saved. It's a powerful film. Certainly I know it's about health insurance, but it also pictures for us the father's love for his son and it reminds us of what Jesus did for us. We had sinned. We had fallen short of God's standard and for admittance into heaven. God gave his life for us. 
Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. In the movie, John Q didn't have to die. In history, Jesus did. If you need a reason to be joyful in tough times, think about who Jesus is and think about what Jesus has done. And number three, here it is. Think about how we should respond because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Verses 9 to 11. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word therefore is because of what Christ has done for us, because he experienced the death. God super exalted him, gave him a name above every name. Friends, Jesus holds the highest place of honor in the universe. He is seated at the right hand of God. He's the Lord of heaven, earth, in between. And at his name, every knee will bow in heaven, earth, and in between. And that is submission. That's the first component of our response, submission. And every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's confession. Submission, confession. Submission, confession. Those actions on our part as our response to who he is and what he did will help us maintain our joy in our minds in tough times. Submission means do what Jesus tells you to do. The Lord told Saul through Nathan the prophet to obey is better than sacrifice. You want to be able to rejoice in the Lord? Simply do what Jesus tells you to do. If you're his fully devoted follower, read what he said, do what he said to do. Confession is simply telling others what he's already done. Now, we do this all the time, don't we? We confess our allegiance to our favorite football team. We confess our allegiance to our favorite political party, favorite music, preferences, car brands. But the greatest confession we can make, the greatest words we can speak is who Jesus is and what he's done. That's how God the Father exalted Jesus. That's how we can exalt him. And since there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, why not submit to him now and confess him now? That's the big issue. Nothing will give us greater joy than submitting to the Lord and confessing him right now. You want to find instant joy? Do what he's told you to do. Declare what he's, who he is. And that's the essence of the Christian faith. And that's the essence of joy in your life. Declare it and do it. And you do that, friend, You'll be choosing to be joyful. I didn't know that Gallup polling releases an annual global state of emotions report, but they do. Gallup does an annual survey of the world, and they shared something from their global state of emotions report that we probably already knew. Here's what they found out. People worldwide are sadder angrier, and more fearful and worried than they've ever been in the time they've kept the records. Gallup had 151,000 interviews with adults. I imagine that cost a lot. In 140 different countries, 151,000 people in 140 countries, and here's the tally of the final tally of the report. 40% of the people surveyed are worried about something. 33% of the people they surveyed are stressed about something. And 22% of the people they surveyed are angry about something. Now, that's just about 100%, isn't it? 
These numbers tell more than just the facts that people are worried and stressed and angry. Friend, these facts tell me that people don't have the joy of the Lord in their hearts and lives. They don't have that inner sense of peace that tells them that things are right between them and God and heaven is their final destination. That comes from knowing who Jesus is and believing who he is and what he's done and how we should respond and do respond in our submission and confession. They don't have the joy that Paul and Silas had that night they were beaten with rods and their feet were fastened in stocks and they were put in prison. But we can have it without being beaten with rods and being thrown in prison. That's the good news. We can still have that joy in our minds regardless of our rotten circumstances as we focus on these three facts Paul included for these two women who were angry about something silly. I just assume it was silly because really in time and eternity, everything's silly. Everybody's angry. Everybody's worried. Everybody's stressed. And that's not just in the whole world. That's in the United States. I mean, people are mad, worried, upset. The joy of the Lord is a rare thing in our world. But oh, listen, Christian, when we think about who Jesus is, when we think about what he did, and we think about how we ought to respond to who he is and what he did, man, I want you to know if we think on that, there will be submission, there'll be confession, but more than that, there'll be a joy in our heart that nobody else around us has, and it's a joy that'll last for now and forever. Pray with me, please. Perhaps you're listening this morning and you've never made a commitment to be Christ's fully devoted follower. You've never asked him to save you from the punishment of your sins. You can do that today. And like those of us who have, leave death row as a free man, woman, boy, or girl. The punishment the judge has declared against you can be transferred to someone else as they pay your penalty for you. So the judge can be just when he says, get out of here, your bill's been paid. What an awesome truth. If you need to be saved today, you've thought about it, never made the commitment. This morning, just quietly, silently, where no one around you but God hears, you might want to pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I've fallen short of what's required to get into heaven. I need the blood of Christ to cover my sins. I need his righteousness charged to my account. I need to be clean in your sight so I can live for you, serve you, and be with you forever. I trust what he did is enough to take care of all my sins, and so I'm asking in Jesus' name, save me now. With every head bowed and every eye closed will be one. Say, Pastor, I, I prayed that today, and I meant that would to be one. Would there be one? Father, I pray these facts we've read would be more than just facts we store in our brain somewhere for like an old library book we never open. Let these facts be the most important, powerful facts that change us and give us joy in our hearts for the rest of the time we breathe air. 
Thank you for these who are here today, Lord. I pray you'll speak to our hearts for those that need to rededicate their life to you, for those here this morning that might need to put their membership at Scott Lake, whatever the decision might be as we have this invitation. I pray that you'll give them the freedom and the peace to come. Thank you, God, for the stillness of the moment and the power of your word. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to work in our midst. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. I love the old hymn, Only Trust Him. Salvation is a matter of faith alone. Now, once we believe and place our faith and trust in Jesus, we ought to serve. We ought to serve the Lord with gladness. But as far as being saved, it's by faith alone. If you've never placed saving faith in Christ, we'll not do that today. Next week is a baptism service. Have you been baptized by immersion? Baptism does not wash your sins away. It does not complete what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. You are complete in Christ. Colossians 2.19. Bottom line is, it's a testimony. It's your first sermon that, yes, I want everybody to know that I, I believe Jesus died, buried, and raised again, and I'm his fully devoted follower. And I'm not ashamed to let you know. That's the New Testament way of letting others know. Baptism. You've not been baptized, come today. You can be baptized next Sunday. Whatever it is, church membership, whatever it is God wants you to do, we're going to stand and sing 217, 317, 317. Only trust Him, all right? Let's stand and sing. I'll be at the front if I can pray with you. Come.
you know, it's something to think about. We all have something in common, and that something in common we have is not just our faith, but we all have family members, cousins, you know, aunts, uncles, second cousins that don't know the Lord as their Savior. What an awesome privilege we have as Christ ambassadors to share the good news with them. I mean, even if you just simply share the ABCs, you know, admit you've sinned, Romans 3.10, 3.23, believe in Jesus, Romans 5.8, and call on him to save you, Romans 10.13. Those are really simple. That's the, that's the abbreviated Roman road. You know, you can't go wrong. God will bless his word, and I've seen that so many times. So ask the Lord to show you, Lord, show me someone in my family that's not a believer and give me an opportunity to talk to them. Maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker, colleague, schoolmate, whatever it might be. Let the Lord use you as an ambassador. The truth is we're all missionaries, whether you're appointed by the IMB or not, whether you've gone to seminary or not. We're all ambassadors. We're all witnesses for Jesus. And so I pray we'll remember that, especially this time of the year. A lot of depressed, angry, stressed, worried people. We have a reason for joy, and we ought to share it. Brother Allen, thank the Lord for the privilege of giving. And uh, tonight we'll continue, verses 12 through 16, maintaining joy in your faith. And so I hope to see you back at 6.30 tonight. All right? Thank you. And we can go today rejoicing that Jesus did not make a partial payment on our salvation. He didn't even pay most of it. He paid it all. 100%. And we don't have to make that sacrifice. Our sacrifice is to simply turn everything over to him. And as we go out today, as we give today as we go out, there are collection plates at each of the three exits. Give, not until it hurts, but until it feels good. <laughs> give because Jesus gave. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking that you would be with us, you would guide us, direct us, and motivate us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that we might be the church, not just within these walls, but certainly as we go out into the workplace, into the world this week. Help us, Lord, to give the praise and the glory and the honor and the witness to Jesus and about Jesus and about the good news, the gospel. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you tonight.